Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome back to Straight from the Source, Michael Russo. Thanks as always for tuning in, for listening, for uh, for downloading wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, really appreciate it. Um, coming to you from one of my favorite road cities, Calgary. Been here for many, 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 many eons. Uh, coming back to this awesome city, it's just a beautiful downtown. And uh, I know we're in a day and age of uh, brand new, flashy uh, arenas and. And all the frills that come into new arenas, and frankly, XL Energy Center is one that needs a little bit of a facelift um, in terms of those frills. And again, I know I'm not a paying customer, and I know that I'm not an owner that needs a bunch of revenue streams. Uh, so I'm a little warped on probably what the priorities are for arenas. But uh, as anybody that listens to me knows, the Saddle Dome is just one of my favorite, favorite arenas. I know even sports writers don't exactly love it because the press box shakes and there's no bathroom in the press box. You have to go into the stands and you got to climb a bunch of stairs to get there. But it's just one of my favorite arenas. It's just so unique. Um, you're, 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 you know, you're level with the, with the flames and you get to look right down onto the benches and the sight lines are awesome. Uh, but maybe I'm just a sicko because I used to love uh, Rexall place in Edmonton, which had more stairs and was a bigger pain to get up to and get to the bathroom. But the sight lines there were incredible as well. Um, my guest today is West Walls. Uh, speaking of Calgary, uh, he is a Calgary native. In fact, my first ever father-son sit-down that I did with the uh, Star Tribune way back, I think back in 2007, Frank Walls, Wes's dad, was part of that sit-down. Um, so really appreciate Wes joining the podcast in a city where he's got a thousand other better things to do than join me on a podcast. And we're going to be talking to Wes about um, what he was seeing from the penalty kill before Dean Evison and Bob Woods were let go and what he's seeing from them now as the team is one three in a row and is 10 of 10 of 11 on the kill um and just what what the he the difference that he is seeing um you know again with his, in his wild career he was never part of a coaching change um but he recognizes exactly what differences tactically strategically systematically um that you see on the ice and uh, we'll talk to him about what he's seeing under the new John Hines uh, regime or if this is just the spark that you would normally get with a coaching change. I will talk to him about broadcasting and I'm going to talk to him about the Vancouver Canucks and the job that his old pal uh, Rick Tockett has done behind that bench. Uh, they are outstanding this year. Pedersen, Miller, Hughes, Besser, all playing great for them. And uh, Rick Tockett, remember, was the head coach in Tampa Bay when West Balls was on his bench as an assistant. So he knows uh, Rick Tockett better than most. So we'll talk to Wes about that. 
Um, but let's talk about this team right now. John Hines, 3-0, is the wild coach. What a difference a week makes. A week ago, this looked like an awful team. I was basically petitioning for them to embrace the suck and go for Cole Eisman or uh, Macklin Celebrini and, and go get a top, top pick for the first time. Maybe, look, I mean, it's not like the, everything is cured and they've still got a lot of work to get to do to get consistently back into the playoff. Uh, but man, they look like a t- completely different team than the one that lost seven in a row before Dean lost his job. Um, they just, uh, they're playing fast hockey again. They're looking like, uh, the team that we saw the last couple of years in the regular season, at least. And so, um, you know, they're getting great goaltending, uh, it starts there, uh, under Dean Evison, this goaltending, uh, duo was just, uh, near the bottom of the league in save percentage. Uh, it was about 868 when Dean lost his job, which was third worst in the league. Now they're at 960 something, uh, in three games and not just Philip Gustafson getting the first two games where they wild were impeccable defensively but then Fleury comes in against Chicago and makes 27 saves there. So they're 3-0 again under John Hines. They're getting great blue line play. Jake Middleton's playing his best hockey this season. Spurgeon's playing his best hockey since he returned from the upper body injury. Faber and Brodine have been um, outstanding there. And then up and down the lineup, uh, you look at their forwards right now. That that line the other night with Rossi, Zuccarello, and Kaprizov was generating just scoring chance after scoring chance. How about Matt Zuccarello this year at 36 years old? Um, he's leading the team in scoring. He's on pace for 97 points. He's got a point in every single home game, which is 11 straight. He's got a point in nine games in a row overall. He's got an assist in seven games in a row overall, which is a career high, and just looking like he's getting better uh, with age. Uh, Kaprizov looked great the other night with Rossi getting his first two-goal game in his career. And then you look at that second line. Eric Sinek has just been a beast all year. Boldy has goals in his last two home games. They still need to get Johansson going somehow. Third line, um, you know, Goudreau has just done a great, great job stepping back into the lineup, and Maroon has played uh, really well since uh, he got onto that line, which is one reason why Ryan Hartman got back from suspension the other night and started off on the fourth line. And then Felino has sneakily been one of the best defensive forwards in the league this year and shut down forwards, even though he hasn't scored a bunch of goals. Fourth line's playing great with Dewey and Dewey. And then uh, Ryan Hartman stepped in the other day. Ryan's just going to have to be patient right now. You, you know, again, he gets suspended at a time where uh, the, he misses the first two games under a new head coach. They win those two games. Um, Maroon played really well with Goudreau and Felinos, and John Hines didn't want to make the change there. And so now Ryan has to start in the fourth line and just bide his time. And eventually he'll probably be elevated in the lineup, whether it's performance or an injury or something like that. But right now he's just got to, you know, be patient and, and, and play his butt off to try to get into the good graces of the new coach. And uh, I thought he played really well the other night in, in limited time. Although uh, the way that that game un- unveiled itself the other night, uh, Don Hines was pretty much able to roll four lines at even strength. So really good job so far um, for the Wild. Um, Hines, it's in a really interesting when you have a coaching change and just the difference between coaches. Not that one way is better or not, but this is just a different message. It's a different coach speaking to the media and the fans on an every night basis, different terminology, different tactics in the way that he talks. And it's just, you know, every coaching change that I've ever covered, you just learn more and more about the game just by listening to somebody and just the way that they speak. And John Hines, you could tell, is a career coach. I mentioned this on um, a podcast last week. He is. He's just so comfortable in his own skin. Uh, you could just tell 
that he has done this uh, many, many times before. Just the way that he talked to me- the media at his opening press conference, the way he addressed the team and that we've been able to see on social media, you could just tell that he's super confident in his abilities. And I'm going to be sitting down with him in Vancouver um, for a really cool story on just how he got a start in his pro uh, coaching career. It's an unbelievable story that was told to me, and I can't wait to get his uh, version for it. Um, in the minors right now, uh, Jesper Valstead. That's apparent. Volsteed is how he pronounced it on uh, to the wild in training camp. So Volsteed. So it's gonna be hard to just say that. I'd l- rather just say Wallstead, but we'll be respectful. Um, second uh, week this season, he was AHL player of the week. He had a uh, back-to-back 43 and 41 or 40 save efforts uh, last week uh, against the Colorado Eagles in Colorado um, on back-to-back nights. Uh, just uh, just superb, leading the league in the AHL in save percentage. And man, the Wild uh, got, got something special there when they moved up and drafted him. I made that trade with the Edmonton Oilers to go grab him. And uh, man, Oilers fans um, are, are a little, little ticked at that move uh, right now. Trying to think what else to talk about. Uh, Faber and Rossi starting to get some Calder love outshone um, uh, Connor Bedard the other night. Not saying that he, they should get the Calder over him, but they are starting to get their love. If you haven't, if you didn't read, Dom Lecision did a really good breakdown of the Calder um, in the Athletic the other day. Um, and uh, the other big news is that the Wild are going to have a bunch of guys that they expect to be in World Juniors, but Charlie Strammel, after making the World Juniors in his first two years, um, as a 17 and 18 year old, as a 19 year old, his struggles at Wisconsin has cost him. He's not even being invited to camp. So, um, you know, there have been a lot of great, great. NHL players that uh, at one point or another either wasn't invited to camp or didn't make a team. We saw it here in Minnesota, Alex Tuck, Matt Dumba, his third year, I believe, didn't make it, Matt Boldy. I mean, it, it just, it, and and all throughout the league. But this is a little concerning just the way that he's playing this year and just the, the, the lack of ice time that he's getting. He's also dealing with an injury at Wisconsin. So uh, we'll have to keep an eye on that and see if anything uh, comes together late or later in the season or if he even... Figure, they figure out a way maybe to get him out of Wisconsin after this year. Who knows? Um, but again, without further ado, here is Wes Walls. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Really happy to be joined by Wes Walls uh, here in Calgary before the wild play the flames. And uh, Calgary is your town. Uh, you, uh... You, you got to see your family yesterday. This is where you're from. This is, uh, this is, this is where little West Walls was running around. Yeah. And, and, uh, <laughs> it was, it was funny. Um, always nice to come back to Calgary. I, I, um, I don't get a chance to see my mom and dad very often anymore. We have a, 
we have a lake place out in British Columbia, not far from Vancouver, that my mom and dad come out and visit during the summer for a week uh, every year. And they don't really love to fly, so I don't see my mom and dad very mm-hmm. often. So when I saw on the schedule that I was on this trip out here out west, I was, I'd put my order in for my meal last night, and my mom <laughs> had dinner ready at six o'clock. It's uh, uh, my mom and dad are both German, and it was just a, it was a nice pierogi dinner that we've, we awesome. we had growing up. And uh, uh, yeah, it was just taking the Uber through Northeast Calgary. It's uh, a lot of things are different in the in the in the city of Calgary yeah. than they were for me growing up. But it was it's always interesting just driving past the schools that I went to, and I can still look over and see some of the the, the um, you know the swing sets on the parks that I used mm-hmm. to swing on. A lot of it still looks the same, but so yeah, I had a lot of great memories here in Calgary. I scored my first ever goal in this in in Calgary when I when I played for the Boston Bruins. Uh, chance to play for the flames. Yeah. What was that like as a Calgarian to play for this team? Yeah, it was, uh, well, I had, I, f- I found out I had a lot of more fourth and fifth cousins that I didn't know <laughs> that I had what, like you got a lot more phone calls and, uh, for tickets and things like that. But it was, um, it was amazing playing in my hometown, uh, for a couple years. Uh, you know, I grew up a huge Calgary flames fan and I was the boy that was my base. My room was in the basement. I was the boy with the transistor radio when I was told to go to bed and I'd have my radio under my pillow. So my mom and dad uh, didn't know I had my radio and I'd be listening to Peter Mark call the, the, uh, the, uh, the, the legend. The, yeah. The flames games. And I probably listened to many of those North star uh, playoff games in the nine, you know, 90, 81, 80, you know, around that time when I would have been 10 years old. So a lot of fond memories playing here in Calgary, playing for the flames was, was, uh, was, uh, truly remarkable. And, um, uh, had some great times. I had a couple. I had one really solid season there yeah. playing with German Titov and and Robert Reichel and and then the one year in the playoffs. I just uh, it was is amazing how you know one playoff or one game or one situation can just change the outlook of your whole career. We were uh, my second year there. I didn't start the playoffs. We played the Vancouver Canucks in the first round, um, and that was the year in '94 that they went to the finals against the New York mm-hmm. Rangers and lost. And we were up three games to one. Um, and Michael Nylander didn't play very well in game one. And I was a healthy scratch for game one. Michael Nylander came out of the lineup uh, and I went into the lineup and got a chance to play. And then in game two, uh, we ended up winning that game. And then in game two, uh, Joe Neuendyke and Joel Otto both got hurt. Oh, wow. So Michael drew back in. I stayed in the lineup. I was playing like every third shift. And, uh, you know, I was playing a lot more than I was, I was during the regular season. And we were up three games to one. We had a, I had actually scored three goals in the four games that I had played uh, and, you know, pretty big goals too. We had a two-on-one, we had a two-on-one in game seven um, before Pavel Burry scored on that breakaway that we, we would have, we would have won that series. And and who knows what, you know, if my life would have changed because, right. I, you know, I kind of would have probably been, been a bit of a hero. The guys went down, we ended up beating Vancouver and we ended up losing that series. And then I, I never even mm-hmm. signed that summer. And so you're, I ended up signing in Detroit. So it's amazing how things can change in, 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 a, in a moment. Yeah. But yeah, no, I had a great experience here in Calgary as a player growing up. And, uh, yeah, it was, it yeah, was that was that great Canucks run to the Rangers series. Yeah. The, the last on the, uh, the Rangers. So won I've the had cup. some success in three, being down up, three, we were up, you know, down three on <laughs> yeah. one, but I've, pl- I've been on the other side of that one too. Yeah, no doubt. Um, <clears throat> I can't imagine also your first, like you listen to Peter Mar growing up and then your first, uh, goal with the flames getting to hear that highlight of him calling you. Call, you know, scoring a goal it had to be one of those surreal moments. Yeah, it, it really was. And I, I, um, Ed Whalen was calling the games for the flames. Uh-huh. Um, and, uh, I, I mean, I, obviously I, I honestly had, I don't even remember the, the call and what it was all about, but, uh, um, um, but just having a chance to, to, um, 
to, to score in your, your own, your own building where you kind of grew up was, was truly remarkable. And, um, you know, Ed Whalen was, a was a, um, God rest his soul too. Yeah. He's, he's gone too. He was, uh, he was around here a long, long time and, um, did Cal- Calgary Stampede wrestling. I mean, that guy did everything. Um, but yeah, no, pretty neat. Ed Whalen press box. Yeah. Yep. Peter was a good friend. I haven't, yeah, it was, uh, it was, he was just had one of those, uh, eclectic calls and just he's iconic, amazing. iconic calls. Yep. Um, so you played uh, 438 games for the Wild, still the franchise leader in shorthanded goals, probably never be broken with 14. Um, you've seen it all with this uh, organization. You're never part of a coaching change in this organization. Uh, you were lucky enough to have Jacques your entire uh, career, but you've seen the, you've seen coaching changes being around here. Um, you know, what are the biggest differences that you're seeing right now with this team compared to even just a week ago? Um. <clears throat> I mean, you can, you can definitely tell the, the one area that John, <clears throat> the one area John really wanted to focus on when he came in, Coach Hines, was, was um, playing fast and, and moving the, the puck quickly out of their zone and up the ice. Mm-hmm. Um, and his first couple practices, you can, you can see uh, like a lot of the wingers and centermen, defensemen, um, they, had pre, they have a lot of predetermined routes. So you know if the puck goes up this side of the ice, if I'm a winger on the other side of the ice, I'm slashing all the way across the ice. There's no sense in me waiting on the other side because there's not going to be a pass coming across the ice. So what basically what what he's done to to play fast is he's forced players to skate toward the puck if someone has the puck. So there's mm-hmm. always 10, 15 foot passes. And um, that makes you look like you're playing faster and you're moving through the neutral zone quicker. When you have a lot of rink wide passes and stuff, that's when a lot of these passes get broke up. And so when you're completing a lot more 15 foot passes, you're seeing a lot less turnovers. Mm-hmm. And as you noticed, we've played a lot more in the offensive zone. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one tactical area that I, that um, has really stood out to me. The other one for me, Mike, is uh, Jared Spurgeon, Brodeen, and Brock Faber are playing like, like I'm not going to compare them to Makar and Hughes, mm-hmm. but they're playing like them. They're playing like Rovers. Like it's, it's, it's unbelievable to watch right. even Jake Middleton and, and even Goligoski is playing like, like there I've ne- like, it's almost a little bit reckless. Yeah. And, uh, and there I was a play the other night where Brodeen centered the puck to favor I at know, the net. It was just, like from the goal line. I was, I was watching like, it from home. I actually had to go back to see if I saw that, but, yeah. uh, um, so it's, it's, it's a, like right now it's a hair reckless, but I would rather be a, with our team, uh-huh. the way our defensemen skate, Mike, I've always said I would rather be a hair reckless because we have the, I I would put our top three defensemen skating wise against any other top three in the national hockey league with Brock Faber now in the lineup. Mm -hmm. Anybody you want to just race around the rink, skate back and forth. Let's line up your three best against our three best. So with them being rovers in the offensive zone all over the ice, they create so much chaos. Yeah. Um, just, just being in people's faces, keeping pucks alive. It's been a big reason why we've been able to spend so much time in the offensive zone and I'm going to get a chance to talk a little bit about it on the air tonight, but uh, it's that's the one area, the other area um, that has really stood out to me. And then obviously my getting saves. I mean, that's yeah. uh, that's. Uh, <laughs> I mean, just it's 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 amazing. Now all of a sudden the goal to the puck looks like a beach ball right. to both goalies, not one. They're, yeah. they're stopping everything. You know, Mark Andre Fleury, the first uh, power play for Chicago there the other night. He was unbelievable to keep the puck out of the net. And um, so that's kind of from a tactical standpoint and. <clears throat> The coaching change thing, Mike, for me has always been an amazing phenomenon yeah. from a human spirit uh, situation. Um, people have asked me all the time, like, 
to try to explain it. And I honestly can't. And like I play, I played 17 years, Mike, I never went through a coaching change. So I don't really know what it feels like to have a coaching change in the middle of the season. But I can tell you there, there has to be, because hockey players have feelings, obviously everybody does, but, um, and for the most part, hockey players are, have big hearts. And I think there's a, there's a, there's a guilt thing there that that's, that's deep inside a human Mm -hmm. being, a hockey player, especially that there's a guilt thing. I know I would feel that. Like, I feel like I would let the man down. He's out of a job. You know, he's busted his butt. You see him walk in the morning, every morning at five in the morning doing his work. So I'm sure there's a guilt part of it too. And that, and that comes out as well. Yeah. And the, the players really voice that you could hear it from guys like Spurgeon and Felino and Zuki and all these guys. Well, even off the record, you would have had more conversations with some of those guys Mm -hmm. too. And I'm sure you feel it as well too. Um, but yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, and you know, there's a lot of guys on this team that have never been through coaching changes before. So I, even the Durs and Duhams, you you see them playing so much harder than they were. And, and you know, Faber the other day is standing up answering questions like this was his fault, <laughs> and it's just like, dude, I, yeah. you're the least of the 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 reasons why uh, Dean and, yeah. and Bob lost. And actually, down. on the broadcast the other day, I thought Ryan Carter brought up a great point. He talked about the the, the guys that are the fourth line guys that had a hat trick and uh-huh. Brock Faber guys that are flying around. Not much equity, man. Yeah. You, you don't have a lot of equity. Yeah. That's an excellent point. And it is, that's a true fact. I mean, you're playing, you're playing for your life. Yeah. And, John Hines has no idea who these guys that's are it. when he comes here. You know, it's the same thing. It's like people are already, you know, uh, you know, the Twitter world all, all over, like, you know, Ryan Hartman's a fourth line, you know, forward already. And, you know, this, this contract's going bad and, you know, right off the hop. And, and instead of looking at this logically, you know, J- Ryan Hartman gets suspended. He misses the first two games. John Hines wins both those games. The Felino Goudreau and Maroon line was really good. Ryan's going to have to bide his time. I yeah. mean, that's just the way it worked. He's not going to just, he isn't, you know, he's not just going to throw Ryan Hartman up in the lineup uh, when everything's going perfectly. Well, he, so, you the, know, the coach would be sending a, a, not a very good message to the rest of the, right, to the team. Exactly. And, and, you know, and, 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 and if you ask Ryan, you know, I don't know if you've talked to him, but I mean, I think Ryan, Ryan gets it. Yeah. Ryan gets it. Yeah. He gets it. He's gonna have to wait his turn. But when it's when you have to wait your turn, you gotta be playing yeah. good yeah. when that opportunity You know, and and on the other side of that fact is people are like, When are when is Joe somebody gonna send a message to Joe Hansen? Well again, it's, it's we're three games in John Hines' career. Yeah. He doesn't know what went on here the first twenty games. That's not his problem. His his job is the guys in front of him. Yeah, and let's and, let let's let this thing breathe yeah, a little bit. Just, exactly. Yeah. You know the other thing too I was thinking about too with uh with having Ryan on the fourth line, Ryan Hartman on the fourth line. You mean, uh, great teams have great fourth lines. Mm-hmm. They just do. And, and to have Ryan Hartman on your fourth line as a 34-goal mm-hmm. scorer, um, <clears throat> Ryan and uh, um, Connor Dewar struggle on their weak side on the face-off circle. Mm-hmm. You've got two centermen that can take face-offs on their strong side. Right. So instead of winning on your weak side, you're going to win 30% of your draws. Now you're going to start with the puck 65% of your time. Mm-hmm. And that's played out in the last couple of games if you look at the face-off percentages. Right. Now you've got your fourth line on the road you're not scared to put them in an offensive, def- you know, defensive zone faceoff because mm-hmm. you're probably going to start with a puck. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of coaching things there with the righty lefty thing too that I'm that I'm sure and you you know you'll I'm sure you're going to talk to him at some point during yeah. the podcast. That might be a, a, an interesting question. Another tactical thing, and I want to <laughs> talk to you about the penalty kill and what you're seeing there. Um, the, another tactical thing that we've seen a lot more is Brock Favor and Jonas Perrine out there with the top line. And, you know, it, I don't know if, if um, you know, it felt like at the end of Bob Woods and, and Dean Everson's time, I don't know if they didn't have a lot of trust in the third pair, but they were starting them in a lot of offensive zone starts with the top line. And I think it really hurt that, that line's ability getting up and down the ice cleanly 
Because just obviously, I mean, your third pair is not moving the puck as well. They're paying pucks off the boards. They're turning pucks over. And the final straw was that Colorado game where they started the offensive zone draw. Merrill was out there. He turns the puck over. Game-winning goal. And, and that was all she wrote. Mm-hmm. We've seen a, quite the contrast now. Do, do you think that's something that, that I, I mean, is that just the way that John coaches? Like, what, what was your sense on why it felt like the third pair was out against with the top line more than really most teams in the league. Well, I think <clears throat> because the analytics do show it, it was the, yeah, no, you know, I listen, what the, the, the coaching staff is trying to protect the, the, the fifth and sixth guys. If mm-hmm. you can start those guys, uh, if you can start your, your bottom pair, the furthest away from your net, mm-hmm. then that's going to give you the best chance to keep right. the puck out of your net. And when you're playing your five and six defensemen with the, your top players, you're hoping that your best offensive players can keep the puck in the offensive zone. Right. Unfortunately, today, in today's game, when you're playing three against five in the offensive zone, because your five and six defensemen, especially when you're losing, Mike, they don't want to take chances. Yeah. They ain't jumping, diving down to the front of the net because if they give up a two-on-one, then they probably aren't going to play the rest of the game. So they're not taking any chances. So now you've got your top line playing three against five, just a matter of time before the other team gets the puck. Mm-hmm. So now those three players have had to play against five players, probably busting their ass, dead tired coming into their own zone. Now they come back into the other zone. you got five fresh players playing against three tired players. Mm-hmm. And, and that's when you get yourself in trouble. I understand the philosophy of, of trying to protect certain players at certain times, right. especially when you're on the road. But your best players, the guys that you're paying big money to, they need to look up out of the corner in their own zone and see defensemen at the top that I know if I'm going to give it to them, that there's a good chance I'm going to get it back. Right. Or you're going to at least blow down the side and mm-hmm. then there's going to be some confusion just enough. Uh, maybe they make a little bit of a mistake through communication. Now all of a sudden I got 10 foot of separation um, and it's, and it's worked. I mean, I, I, yeah. I, I'm sure John went back and looked at, you know, how the coaching staff matched and did different things. This was one thing area that he probably looked at and yeah. said, I think I can, you know, like, like, I mean, I see also the rationale, like Dean was a hard match guy with his defense. He always wanted to have, Faber and Brodine or Middleton and Spurgeon out against the other team's top lines. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if you've got Erickson Eck going out against those guys, uh, you, you're probably seeing a lot more of Brodine in favor with, those, you know, with an Eck out there yep. going against and, McKinnon. And, and, and think about this. Know. So so, so you said, uh, like, the offensive guy's always in the offensive zone for faceoffs. Mm-hmm. The other team is usually going to put their fourth, their, their, checking, their checking guys out on the ice. So, right. If you're Bob Woods and, and Dean Evison, you're thinking, okay, they don't have their, they're not going to play power against power, right? You know, when when we're in the offensive yeah. zone, so there's there's all kinds of reasons. Why. Of I ways, understand, yeah, I understand yeah. reasoning for yeah, both. Yeah, like just guys just hey, weren't playing great. If you look I mean, at that, and if you look at that game in particular, the it worked from the standpoint that McKinnon and Rantanen didn't do much in that game because Eck just draped himself with Felino and Goudreau all over, and Hartman all over they him. They played great, With man. favor, yep. But then the one time that it just bit him on the, on the game. And, and that goal. happens again. Yep. And you're looking at one situation, Mike. Yep. I mean, this is, yep. you know. Let me, uh, the, the, the end of the PK um, tenure of the old regime felt like they were really searching for answers. It was bizarre. It was like they had these two different, almost like passive and aggressive, um, you know, uh, schemes and you never knew what was going to, which one they were going to go. And it never seemed to make sense. I mean, was that just them grasping at straws? Like, what did you see at the end with the, because it did, did, I mean, am I wrong that they had these two different types of, no, of course. Yeah. Alignments. No, they, they did change up their systems and changing up systems, in in seasons really difficult. Yeah, you know you're trying to learn. Now, when you change up systems, 
other the other three players might have different tendencies and different systems. Right. Now I'm trying to learn if I'm playing with Connor Dewar, how is he going to handle this situation? Should mm-hmm. I should I shade a hair this way? Now I'm trying to learn in an in an NHL game with the best players on the ice. So anytime you go into a season and you have to um, try to 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 change your systems, especially on special teams, to try to get it right, um, makes it very very difficult. Um, you know, the wild couldn't get a save, Mike. I'm just going to call it like it is. It, yeah, it, it so really, it, it really affects. Yeah. I know this because I, I killed penalties. I know the psyche of, of, of a, of a penalty killer. And those players take a ton of pride in being great penalty killers. It, it, it affects your life. Like I'm telling mm-hmm. you guys, guys care. They're going home. They're maybe grumpy with their kids. Like it, it mm-hmm. changes everything. And then you give up a, you know, you've given up three power play goals the previous game. Now you're into a game again and first shots in the net. It, like it affects the rest of your game. It mm-hmm. just, I don't care what anybody says it does. And it was uh, affecting their game. When the wild went back to the, um, uh, Mike, when they went back to the, to the diamond and kind of packing it in, mm-hmm. th- I, I, I love that. Yeah. yeah, I love that. Everybody against Ottawa it was perfect. Yeah, and, Ottawa and, didn't know what to do. And again, and yeah. I think, and I think they've stayed with that system. Yeah. I'm seeing, a, I'm seeing a lot more of uh, yeah. of, of the same things where, where guys are, uh, you're seeing guys more in shooting lanes and and shutting off uh, passing lanes through the middle, um, allow, allowing your goaltender hopefully to make the first save. And if we're going to pack it in, there ain't going to be a second shot. It's going to be a save, and it's going to be down the ice. Right. That's what we're going to trade off from yeah. not being so aggressive everybody everywhere else. Yeah. And if we're going to, if you're going to play the diamond, like the wild have, you got to block shots, man. And yeah. the best penalty killing teams around the league. I don't care. I watch it, Mike. I watch it every year. The last four teams that are fighting for a Stanley cup. I just shake my head. I sit on my couch and I'm like, I cannot believe how dedicated these guys are. It's amazing to mm-hmm. watch. I say it every year mm-hmm. and I still feel the same way. Yeah. You're playing against the best players in the world. If you don't have players on your team willing to lay it on the line and block shots, you will not be a good penalty killer yeah. team. That Detroit game is what scared the heck out of me watching that. Not only did they score a couple of power play goals, but it felt like Gossiver was taken, you know, one timers from 25 feet out. I mean, he was just stepped right into their passive penalty kill, and it yeah. was like helter skelter for a while. Yeah. Um, and actually, I mean, Gus made some good saves until he just couldn't. You know, one goal of a face off, the other goal. Uh, David Perano. Yeah, he didn't. That. Yeah, he didn't. Uh, he didn't have much of a chance on a couple of those yeah. things on a couple of those plays. But, but they are getting <laughs> saves now. Um, and you know, to your point, uh, at least uh, overall, I mean, it's uh, better. Dean, it's not yeah. perfect, Mike. Listen, yeah. we, they've hit a post. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. We, yep. They've had a. We didn't get any breaks either. I'm not. You yep. can't. You don't go from a tenth penalty kill in the league, and now you're thirty second, and and not just thirty second. The team that's thirty first is ten percent better than you. Yeah, that just they're better than, than what they were doing. It's just, they weren't getting a lot of breaks. So hopefully they start getting a few bounces and then continue to, to, to build on what they've done yep. for the first three. Uh, 10 for 11 uh, uh, tonight uh, or yeah. going into tonight's mm-hmm. game against Calgary. Uh, let's talk about your old, uh, your old uh, pal, uh, Rick Tockett. Uh, you were on his bench in uh, Tampa Bay as his assistant coach. He's now gone to, um, to Vancouver and just done an, a remarkable job. I mean, you look at this team right now, you got Quinn Hughes, on top of the league in points, uh, you got, uh, I mean, JT Miller doing unbelievable things. Brock Bester scoring goals. Elias Patterson about to get uh, paid. They got 33 points in 25 games. They're 8-2-1 at home. Uh, what has he done to help that team turn it around? Well, it's been, <clears throat> it's probably been, it's been 12, 13 years since I've coached with Rick. And, um, you know, so that's a, that's a long time. And, and coaching with him, we had a lot of fun. Um, 
he wasn't one of those guys that wanted his assistant coaches around the rink for 16 hours a day. Like, Walsey, get your work on the PK done. Like, I don't, you don't need to go back and watch 10 games. You can watch the last three. So I was ready for my meetings. And he, mm -hmm. so that was, he was great to work for because I had a family as well too. So, um, the guy's a, he's just a no nonsense guy. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, where you stand with him. He, he's so unafraid of conflict. Like he, he actually, <laughs> he, he actually like thrives on it. He, he likes, he, he, he enjoys it. Like he likes, <laughs> I remember getting into a couple like uh, back and forth with him uh, just about system stuff. So, and he, he wants assistant coaches with ideas he, he, and I have a lot of ideas. So that, that, and that's why I think we got along so well is because I, I would bring things to him that maybe he would never have thought about mm -hmm. before. And he, you know, he wouldn't always agree with me, but at least he'd sit there and think about it or question you or come back the next day and a, let's sit down and talk about what you're, you know, but we got along great. Um, he, uh, he really enjoys Mike he's a head coach, but he loves going on the ice early with, with, with players. And he loves to work with guys that are struggling. Like, right. If, if I, I just remember Marty St. Louis and, and, uh, Steve Downey and even Stammer at the beginning is his rookie year, um, guys that were struggling with their game. He loves to go on the ice early and work on positioning and scoring around the net. If guys aren't scoring, Rick scored, I don't know what he scored, 450 goals, something like that. Right. He was, an, he was amazing around the net, uh, as far as positioning. And he loves working with, 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 uh, That's because defensemen were scared to get near him. Well, so. maybe he had a little bit more room even. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it, and it doesn't surprise me that like when I see Brock Besser, like I, and I mentioned this to you, I think a couple of days ago, when I see right-handed players having success with Rick Tockett, I think back to what he did with Steve Downey. I'm sure you remember that mm -hmm. name back in Tampa. Yeah. I think one year, <laughs> I think talk got him 25 goals one year all right. around the net yeah. working with him. Now I see Brock Besser yeah. scoring, uh, Kuzmenko's a right-handed yeah. shot. Um, so he's a uh, he's one of those guys that uh, he, he enjoys conflict. Um, he wears his emotions on on your on his sleeve. Like you don't have to you don't have to wonder what your coach thinks of how you're playing when you just scan the bench. You got a pretty good idea where you're at. Uh, I'm I'm really happy for what he's done. He was uh, Mike. He was a very loyal guy. I can mm -hmm. tell you. I'm not going to share all the stories with you if you have them on your podcast. He might, but um, the situation that I went through personally in Tampa, though there. Mike, he showed an amazing amount of loyalty to me, and it's something that I'll never forget. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he. Uh, by the way, just you mentioning Steve Downey just uh, gave me like the, sh <laughs> the shakes because he was a freaking maniac. Um, um, All talk wouldn't have helped with that situation. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> uh, although it was like later in his career where he became really crazy. Um, you mentioned uh, working with right-handed shots, uh, and and obviously you mentioned Besser. Talk was a right-handed shot. Besser. I mean, he's healthy. I think he's stress free because of you know he he's no longer having the the weight of the world on his shoulder. Just thinking about his dad and in yeah. pain, um, but he's leading the league in, with seventeen goals. And how much do you think that is to do with with Tuck just really working with them, or just the confidence that he's playing with because Tuck is showing so much confidence in him? Well, the two go hand in hand. I'm sure. Mm -hmm. I, I'm sure at the beginning of the season, Brock come out of the gate playing well. And then when you come out of the gate and you're playing well and you're scoring goals, that's another thing that Rick mm -hmm. was really good at is recognizing Mike, who's going that night, mm -hmm. you know, and, and he recognizes stuff really early in games. Um, you know, I think obviously the situation that Brock's had to deal with for many, many years has been weighs on him. It would weigh on anybody to watch your father go through what he went through. Um, but I think just scoring early in the season for Brock, 
um, brings you an amazing amount mm-hmm. of confidence. Um, and when you have confidence in this game, you just feel like you can do anything. And I'm sure Brock's in that, in that kind of a, a mode right now where he feels like any puck that pops out to me is going in the net. Mm-hmm. It's not, I'm not going to miss the net. The goalie's not going to make a great save. Um, he just has that confidence just because of getting off to such a great start. When we saw it with Erickson Eck a couple of years ago when he started scoring 20 goals a year, the year he got 19, Mike, I think he had three or four goals in his first four games after mm-hmm. scoring five goals a year for like four years. We're like, well, what? this is the first round pick that we took just before Brock Besser. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's lighting it up. But um, so, you know, Marco Rossi scored early in the year too. Yeah. Confidence, man. I'm, it's it's true. It's an amazing thing uh, when you score um, it, it breeds a lot of confidence and, um, you know, Rick said, uh, I don't know for sure. I, how much work that he has done with Brock, uh, working on positioning around the net. Cause it seems like a lot of Brock's goals are, um, kind of off, off to the side or, uh, you know, I guess they are right, Most of them are around the net. So, um, uh, it'll, that would be interesting for you to ask that question to Brock Yeah, because Rick talk had made his living in the, in the, in the paint. And mm-hmm. it seems like that's where Brock's getting a lot of his uh, goals yeah. from. Yeah, you mentioned Rossi. Rossi's getting a lot of his goals from there. I mean, are you amazed at this kid's courage? I mean, he is—he's an undersized guy, but yeah, he is getting—you know—he is going to where you need to go. Yeah, uh, to score goals. It's—I'm uh, proud of him. Yeah. I, I'm really proud of him. The kid's been through—the <clears throat> kid's been through a lot. Um, I watch rookie rookies come into this league. Um, all us guys that were that were, were broadcasters, we were all rookies. We know what it feels like to come into the league. It's a hard league, and I think it's even harder now to come mm-hmm. into the league because the pace is just so fast. You know, with what he had to deal with with his heart condition. You know, last year one assist in 19 games. Can he play? He was he had some injury issues down in the American Hockey League. Kid's been through a lot. Um, his uh, his skating definitely has has improved. There's no doubt about it. Um, and I also do think, Mike, that him staying here and training with NHL players this summer mm-hmm. was an important factor in him getting to where he is right now. So when he goes back and trains in Austria, he's not training with, with NHL players. Right. He doesn't in his mind, Mike, he doesn't know if he's training hard enough. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it's a mental thing. It's, mm-hmm. it, it's a mental thing. Now you stay over here and you, and you bust your ass with the guys you're playing with mm-hmm. and you know, you're stronger than this guy and that guy, and you've right. trained harder and that that breeds a lot of confidence. Mm-hmm. It really, really does. But the other thing I love too, Mike, is uh, is when you're a young player and you're playing with two superstars. Mm-hmm. And this is I watch this very, very closely, like deferring to Kirill and Zuki and giving them mm-hmm. the puck. He's not. Yeah. He, he's he wants to score. Mm-hmm. He wants to be the man. And I love that about him because that's a quality you don't always get in young guys uh, playing with top guys. And he has that, and that's going to make him a more dangerous player as we move through the year. Um. Last question before we get to some Twitter questions for you. Um, I wanted to ask you about Zuccarello. Um, you, you know, you just brought him up. Um, this guy, he's got an active seven-game assist streak, active 11-game home point streak, an active nine-game overall point streak. Um, in a league where allegedly it's a young man's league, we're seeing other guys like, you know, Crosby still thrive, Pavelski still thrive, and then this guy at 36 years old just doing – some remarkable things. He's on pace for 97 points. Um, for a guy that's never been the greatest skater, I mean, you know, Marty St. Louis said it last year, he, he's, his, his legs have never been the fastest, but his brain sure is. Um, you, you know, what do you, what, do you, uh, what do you see with his game and why he just keeps getting better with age? Well, I, I chuckle when I, when I hear people say that he's not, he's not a great skater. Mm-hmm. Mike, he might, be, he might be our fastest skater from 
point A to point B in a 30, in a 30 foot race. Mm -hmm. He's our fastest skater. Mm -hmm. He's so explosive. There are times when he'll chip a puck past the defenseman yeah. and I'll watch him. And it looked like someone hit the fast forward button. Mm -hmm. When I see that in my mind, no one, no one can tell me he's not a great skater. Right. Now, is he, he's not a burner. You're not going to see him like uh, McKinnon flying through the neutral zone. He's mm -hmm. not that type of skater, but he's an explosive skater. He's a different type of skater. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I disagree with Marty St. Louis. Obviously, he's a, he's, a, he's a very heady and smart player. We're going to have a chart here tonight <clears throat> that, um, uh, that we're going to show everybody. Uh, I think it's the amount of 100-point scorers in the National Hockey League history with guys that have been 36 years and older. There's only two guys that have got to 100 points. One mm -hmm. guy's name's Mark uh, um, Gordy, Gordy Howe. Howe, and the other one is Joe Sackick. Uh -huh. And I think Wayne Gretzky got to 97. Yeah, and his name is like right up near the top. That I mean, obviously we've got 60 games to go, a long way to go. But to see what he's doing is amazing. Um, and I'm actually probably going to bring it up on the broadcast here tonight. Kirill and and Zuki, Mike, the last three games. Yeah, under they've been playing under 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. More quality minutes, not yes. quantity minutes, and. You know, everyone's been talking about Kirill's injury and mm -hmm. different things like that. I'm, I've never been a big fan of any forward in the NHL with the pace of the games today playing over 20 minutes a game. I've never been a big fan. Um, more injuries come, come along, and I think you just play, you make a lot of mistakes from, from the 40-second mark to the 60-second mark. If you can stay on the ice for 45 seconds, your coach will get you back out there. He's playing more quality minutes, yeah. and I think that's a big reason. Well, that was, the, you know, like if you look at the sh shift lengths, average shift lengths in the league, I mean, there's Boldy, Zuccarello, and Kaprizov were, I think, top five. I saw uh, that. Yeah, graphic. and that is not a good thing. You know, they that means they're <laughs> overextending their shifts and, and things like that. I think that they've been kind of let, let you know, get off the ice. <laughs> Save it for the next shift. Um, and so I think it's pretty good. And you've seen the other thing here is we're seeing more even um, minutes with the power play now. We even saw that at the end with Dean. Um, I think they're trying to, you know, get them off the ice a little more. Yeah. And I, I again, it's just, I, it's difficult, <clears throat> especially at 36 years old. I mean, Kirill has got the, he's got the silly gene. He's got the extra chromosome. He's amazing. Sometimes I watch Kirill and I'll look down at my monitor and he'll pick up a puck in the neutral zone. And he's been on the ice for 56 seconds. And right. I'm like, well, he's, he's just going to chip this in. And he actually will blow by somebody. And I'll be like, like I'll do, be in a commercial break with LaPanta. And I'll say, I cannot believe what I just saw. Like he just blew by that defenseman. And he'd been on the ice for 57 seconds. But when you're 36 years old, it's harder to recover uh, yeah. from, from long, long shifts. Uh, a Dinah guy asked, does Wes have any interest in going back to the NHL as a coach? Um, whatever the number, less than zero. <laughs> yeah. Less than zero. I, I, has that changed over time? Like at the, after like Tampa, did you like uh, itching to get back? Yeah, and... no, no. It, it, um, I really enjoyed my time in Tampa, uh, working with, you know, being assistant coach there, working with Stamkos and, and Victor Hedman were both young players at that time. And it's crazy to think Hedman just played his thousand. Yeah. Game. But, um, I, I really did enjoy my time, but the amount of time and hours that you spend at the rink away from your family, it is really a, a big commitment. Mm -hmm. And, you know, with me having our youngest of, of five as a first-year band, I get a chance to still coach his team. Um, you know, when when he's done high school, who knows, Mike? You know, yeah. I, I've actually had some opportunities to potentially coach some high school teams around mm -hmm. the Twin Cities. That might be something that might intrigue me, uh, mm -hmm. coaching a boys' high school program and trying to build something. That's awesome. So we'll see where that goes. Um road. MJ, uh, Mary asked, does he still skate, play hockey, even with his kids? Is he still super picky about his skates? 
That was still always the greatest West Wall what, stories. We'd be, we'd be, oh we'd be out there. I'm gonna uh, cut you off. Yeah, right we, now. like an hour after the game, we'd be in the press box writing there with Wes in his in his uh, in his warm up suit, just t- skating around. Well, that was probably because we had a game the next night, and I wanted to make right. sure I had my edges perfect, so I didn't have to come to the rink at eight in the morning yeah. so I could get a good night's sleep. But I'm sure, yeah, you guys used to you guys uh, used to yell at me from the press box and give me a hard time. But um, <laughs> I was more concerned. What was her name again? That's uh, that Mary one? asked that question. Yeah, Mary, I, I've sharpened my skates. I think three times in the last like 14 years. So yeah. no, I don't, I'm still, I still yeah. wear the same, same pair of skates. The other, uh, the, you've done podcasts with me before. So I'm sure we've told the story. The other great West wall story is when, uh, you were after a game one night on the treadmill and, jock walked through saw james shepherd on the ground watching tv eating ice cream <laughs> he went back said to mario i was like this is just i can't i can't let this go i gotta go out there and then he like apparently did this happen right in front of you he uh he confronted james it didn't like, happen in front of me no okay. but i heard about it later yeah i he, think one of the assistants like, came up this, or something you know veteran on the yeah you know. i wasn't the only guy on the treadmill all the time there was other guys too but i just probably happened to be on the treadmill right. that day that was probably uh, on the treadmill because i only i got benched and only played 12 minutes that game that was probably why <laughs> uh billy wild fan asks uh billy g wild fan <laughs> I don't think this is really Garen, though. Uh, what was the biggest transition for him going into the booth? Um, going into the booth, well, a lot more preparation, I think, going into the booth, and you know, a lot Having of times, deal with Stroh in your ear. Yeah, no, that's the best part. Stroh's Stroh's make my, makes my life easy. Um, uh, just the amount of preparation. A, a lot of times, I'll look down at all the notes, all the work that I put in, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, I'll look down. I'll, I use like ten percent of the stuff that I that I had prepared for. And the problem is you just don't know what 10% you're going to use. Mm-hmm. And, um, so a lot more preparation going into the, um, uh, going into the booth for sure. Um, you know, not doing <clears throat> like I do about 20 games during the season and, and maybe, you know, about 30 pre and post it's, it's, it's hard to get into a routine, you know, mm-hmm. like for instance, tonight I'm doing the game. I haven't, I haven't done a game in like two, two, three weeks. It takes, almost a half a game before I start to feel comfortable again. Yeah, and, that's um, crazy. It's really hard. Yeah. And the bullets are flying like right yeah. away. Like there's no getting around. And uh, so every, it's just like a hockey player, Mike, you know, mm-hmm. some nights you're better than others. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I do really try hard to, to be good and be prepared. And some nights you feel like the English language just flows. And then other nights you walk out of the booth, you're like, what the hell just happened? Mm-hmm. But um, I enjoy the people I work with. Anthony LaPanta is great. Uh, you might want to edit that, but yeah, um, it's not, yeah, no, he's, he's fun to work with. He's, he's, he's always prepared. John Strode, uh, our in-game producer is great. Karts has been great to work with too. Mm-hmm. And um, so it's, it's a good group. And plus um, awesome stage manager and sound guy in Minnesota, right? That's Hogram right. And John yeah, those, Warner. those guys are solid. They're <laughs> solid. Um, a couple more for you, because I know you got your conference call to get ready for the uh, game tonight. Uh, name can't be blank. I always love this guy's Twitter name. His name can't be yeah, blank. Yeah, because you have to put a name there, so he just writes name can't be blank <laughs> instead solid. of Wes. That's you solid. Know. He goes, uh, does he see more positions in and around hockey having a soft requirement for prior playing experience at the NHL, AHL level? GMs who are former players, is this good or bad, and does it block out others um, who are otherwise qualified for the job? So, um, yeah, so... Cole's notes for that one. What, how do you... Yeah, so, um, <laughs> yeah for prior playing experience at the NHL, AHL level. So I think he's basically saying that GMs who have to be former players, uh, is that blocking out? Like, you know, you know, in, in baseball, you see a lot of like, you know, uh, the, the, um, you know, maybe didn't have playing experience and things like that. 
Well, I mean, there are I, I think gems, you know, like Chris McFarlane never played in the game, you know, like NHL level, Bill Zito. Well, you're getting a lot more uh, yeah. analytical people that are, yeah. I mean, that's, I think that started with baseball, right? Mm -hmm. Where you're starting to get analytical people, you know, kind of moving their way up the ladder in baseball and, you know, analytics is starting to play a bigger role in hockey for sure. So I'm sure there's a lot more of that now. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I honestly don't know how that's going to progress as we yep. move through the next few years. Um, Mike Sampson, I'd ask, uh, I remember his first uh, appearance on FSN wild pregame. He was, he was nervous. How did he overcome the broadcast nerves? Remember Darby when he first started doing TV talk about nerves? Oh yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, we, I should have been fired after my first year. I, I'm, I look back at some of that stuff. I mean, do you remember we used to do the instructionals on the ice? Yeah. Like my, the first time I ever went on the air, I, I was on with Jenny Taft. Uh -huh. you remember? Yeah, she's yeah. kind of moved on to bigger yeah, and better yeah. things. She's and uh, she's she's a sweetheart. But uh, but I'm doing two on working on two on ones with Jenny Taft and and PA brings this up all the time. The first time I, I was ever on the ice, I, I went to turn and I wasn't even nervous. I went to turn and I I fell and slipped on something. And and this is live television, right? And I hit my elbow on the ground, but I popped up so fast, like nothing had happened. But my elbow was swollen for like a for like a week. So, uh, uh, PA brings that to my attention like once every yeah. two years or so. About the first time I was ever on the air, but yeah, no, it's taken time to get to get comfortable. Um, whether you're doing pre and post or or you're in the booth, Anthony or uh, Mike, the um, you always get nerves. You just mm -hmm. always do, and that's yeah. actually the one part that I enjoy. It's kind of like being a hockey player mm -hmm. when the light comes on it's time to perform mm -hmm. and uh, some nights better than others. Um, but it's obviously much easier when yeah. the, when the wild are winning. Mariah Stark asks, uh, he was the first pl wild player I ever met when I was a kid and he was so kind. I'll never forget it. What did he miss most about playing in the NHL? What does he miss most about playing? In the NHL? Oh, I don't mind. I kind of miss the paychecks every two weeks. <laughs> um, that's kind of right up there. But, um, you know, one of my favorite parts of playing in the NHL was Mike was going on the road. Yeah. And winning on the road. Yeah. One of my favorite parts of being in the NHL was that 15 minutes after you walk in the locker room till guys like you walked into the yeah. locker room, <laughs> we had a chance to jump around and just music and act yeah. like little 10 year old kids. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I and now it's five minutes. Now, is it five now? Yeah, oh yeah. man. We used to blow yeah. it out. We used yeah. to blow it out. The coaches and Jock never came in and talked to the, Ever. whether, whether we won or lost, mm -hmm. he never talked. So it was our time. And especially when we, when we beat good teams, that, that was one, that was one thing that I, that I really, really miss. Cause it just, uh, you just look around the room and see everybody yeah, acting yeah. like kids. Uh, but, uh, Holden asks, uh, if Wes could jump on a line with two wild players from any time, who would he like to center? Oh my goodness. Well, Kirill would obviously, obviously Kirill Kaprizov and, uh, and Marion Gabrick, but, um, I'd love to center those two guys, but I don't think those guys would, would probably want to work, you know, under jock, I wasn't really allowed to go <laughs> very deep into the offensive zone. <laughs> Kirill and Marion Gabrick, if they played one game with me, if jock was the coach, because I'd, I'd always stay in the high, in the high slot and wouldn't work in, they would knock on jock's door in like five seconds and go, can we get this guy off our line or yeah. coach? Can you allow him to get involved yeah. in the cycle? And don't worry, trust me. I was a scorer in junior. I wanted to get involved in the yeah. cycle, but I had played over in Switzerland, played 300 yeah. games in the minor. I remember coming back to Gabby on the bench all the time and saying, listen, Gabby, I'm 30 years old. You're 18. <clears throat> Don't tell me where I should be playing. Like I remember having those conversations yeah. with him uh, because he wanted me to get, <clears throat> I knew that I knew how I needed to play for this specific coach 
to stay in the National Hockey League, and I was smart enough to to understand that yeah, when I was thirty yeah. years old. Yeah. Two final questions that <clears throat> sure. must be from people that know you. Uh, Ryan uh, asks, "What's your best round at Prestwick?" <clears throat> um, probably uh, maybe a seventy three. 74, never broken part, Preswick, but come close a couple times. Nice. And uh, this person must work at Dairy Queen. What's Wall's 3737's go-to Dairy Queen order? Do you go to Dairy Queen? Oh, that? my goodness. Well, the one in Woodbury there, yeah, that's one of the busiest ones I've heard in the state. <clears throat> they know me by, by name now. Uh, a lot of times I'll just go through the drive-thru and they'll go, hey, Mr. Walls, how you doing? You want your regular? Um, <laughs> I, I'm, a, I'm a large, I'm, a, I'm not a large, I'm a medium blizzard Heath guy. That's my go-to. Okay. And um, it's, it's uh, you know, after I, re I didn't eat much ice cream when I played. I very rarely <laughs> ate. But after I retired, I made up for a lot of lost years of, of, uh, of eating ice cream. So they know me pretty well over there at Dairy Queen. That's so funny. Uh, <laughs> this person's a Zamboni driver, too. So I don't know if you know who this person no, is. No, uh, I don't spend a lot of time. She definitely knows that you go to Dairy Queen a lot. Oh, yeah. So. Okay. Uh, well, hey, Wes, a uh, lot of fun. It's nice to see this team winning again and having yeah. some positive things to talk about. It was getting pretty dreadful. No, I know. Uh, and yeah. this is a big trip. Hopefully, yeah. we can keep some momentum yeah. going here. I knew the last night that things have changed like before like the the first couple of road trips when this team was losing it's like if i saw a player away from the ice they were just like oh, get oh me yeah away they're running like yesterday uh lapanta and i went over to the cactus club and yet in one corner you had uh uh the deweys uh brock faber and boldy and then the other corner you had hartman maroon and um and merrill and as they were all leaving they came up all of them talked to us hey, and Bruce, how's yeah. it going Hell yeah, 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 like yeah. suddenly like we're like oh, yeah. you know, suddenly they're good. not hiding from me and hey, I'll, be, I'll be available for an interview if you need exactly <laughs> so well hey thanks uh wes uh as always uh really appreciate it and here's a word from one of our sponsors It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans, after all, it's only pressure, you got this, Adidas. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. My thanks to Wes Walls for joining this week's edition of Straight from the Source. Really uh, appreciate Wes anytime he uh, can come on to this podcast, especially in his hometown of Calgary, where he's got many things to do besides joining this podcast. Uh, the Athletic Hockey Show is published five times a week with our hosts, Ian Mendez, Julian McKenzie, Haley Salvian, Sean Gentili, Max Boltman, and Corey Promen with contributions from our writers, including Mark Lazarus, Jesse Granger, Down Goes Brown, Shana Goldman, and myself. In fact, on the Tuesday show with Ian and Julian, I get a guest a week for 15 or 20 minutes. This week's guest, Darren Pang, the Chicago Blackhawks uh, color analyst and uh, TNT color analyst, and everybody loves Panger. Uh, find episodes on the Athletic Podcast Network and wherever you download your podcasts. You can also subscribe to the Athletic NHL's YouTube channel at youtube.com slash at the Athletic Hockey Show. Again, that's youtube.com slash at the Athletic 
Hockey Show. That's the at symbol, by the way. A new subscription to The Athletic makes a great Christmas present or Hanukkah present or whatever you celebrate. Uh, you can get a one-year subscription for $19.99 a year or a two-year subscription for $39.99. Offer is available until January 1st, 2024 by going to theathletic.com slash gift sale. This is Michael Russo from Straight from the Source. We'll be back next week.